Well, our, our Bible reading um, today comes from John chapter 14, and it's the first 14 verses of uh, John 14. I was at uh, my uh, uncle's funeral within this last fortnight where this uh, passage was um, read and explained and it does provide um, great comfort um, for the Christian and for the families that uh, are left behind once they lose someone. And I know that many people um, testified that day, you know, that my uncle nailed life's mission to know God and to make him known. So here's uh, John uh, chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I am going there to to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the work works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Thank you, Russell. I've lost my microphone. Just hold on a sec. There we go. Okay, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Hi uh, on the live stream, uh, those watching with us. Uh, I've got a photo here on the screen of me skippering a boat. Um, So... Uh, We'd been out to sea, uh, so we sailed out through Sydney Heads up the coast. Uh, This is a sailing boat, and we were heading back into the Hawkesbury River. 
And so I was uh, skippering the boat, uh, guiding it into the Hawkesbury River in the midst of a storm. Uh, looks kind of heroic, uh, doesn't it? Uh, and it can be scary. Uh, when, when I'm standing there holding uh, the wheel or whatever, you, what do you call it? And anyway, when, when I'm standing there and you feel the strong wind and the boat starts to tip uh, and then when the gusts come and you see the, the sails flicking around, uh, it really is, I really do feel scared and it's interesting when I look around the others on the boat, they look scared as well, especially when I'm the one holding the wheel. Um, the only thing that gives me confidence at all is knowing that my brother-in-law is right there with me. So have a look at this. Here he, see, there he is, right? And he wouldn't leave my side uh, because he doesn't trust that I've got it into control either. So he's ready to take charge. Um, and so what it does for me is it brings a calm in the midst of the storm. You know, I'm there sort of holding it, but I know that at any point he can kind of step in, take charge, uh, and it's going to be okay. But if he was to jump overboard uh, for any reason, then, <laughs> then I would be petrified because uh, I just know it's, it's, it's beyond me. Uh, especially in the midst of a storm. Now, life can feel a lot like that. You know, when things are going well uh, and, you know, just as you'd want them to be, as we're sailing through calm waters, sometimes you can kind of feel okay. You can feel like, oh, I'm, I'm handling this pretty well. Uh, but so often we're sailing through troubled waters, aren't we? Uh, so often there's sickness or financial stress, or there's a whole lot of other stresses and pressures that come upon us, the gusts of life, broken relationships, um, and even death itself. So many things beyond our control. Uh, and maybe even this morning you feel a little like you're in the midst of a storm. Uh, it was lovely. Thank you, Beck, uh, for sharing your uh, your journey at the moment, because for many of us, we're feeling similar, or we know that we will in coming days. Uh, who will stand beside us to give us confidence through the troubles of life and death, um, so that we don't have to panic or be petrified? Who can calm our fears and bring peace to our hearts? Now, many of us have found the answer, and it is Jesus. He is the captain of our lives. Uh, when we are out of control, we know that he has it in control. We can trust him no matter how fierce the storms of life. And my prayer this morning is that God will stir our confidence in Jesus, uh, that even when times are good, we know that he is with us, uh, but especially as times, dark times, troubled times come, to know that he will bring us safely through life, safely through death, uh, to be able to trust in him in the midst of that. That's my prayer. Now, in John's gospel, <clears throat> Jesus' 12 disciples were learning to trust him. They were learning to, to build confidence in Jesus. Uh, they'd been with Jesus um, through so many good times, 
Uh, they'd seen all the crowds flocking to Jesus and Jesus healing every kind of sickness and disease and, and the teaching of Jesus. And so the crowds were there and Jesus was popular. And so following Jesus gave them a status. But that only lasted for a short time. Uh, just flick over to John chapter 6 with me. Uh, John chapter 6, it's a long chapter, but right at the end, verse 66, from this time many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. So the 12 are left, but the crowds are starting to abandon Jesus. And Jesus says to the 12 disciples, well, are you going to go also? Are you going to abandon me like the rest of the crowd? And Peter says, well, where else are we, got, we to go? You alone have words of eternal life. We believe you, and so we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so we feel safe with you. And it's not only the crowds abandoning Jesus, but the religious leaders are ramping up their pressure. Chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus won't even go to Jerusalem or Judea because the Jewish leaders are trying to kill him. And this is only chapter 7, and it just ramps up from there. Uh, so uh, not, only is the, not only is Jesus becoming less popular, not only is the, his, he got the threat of being killed, but Jesus himself is becoming more and more anxious. So uh, chapter 12, verse 27, turn over there. <clears throat> chapter 12, verse 27. Actually, I might have it on the screen. Uh, Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Uh, so Jesus faces his own death, his own crucifixion, and he is troubled deeply, but he knows that this, this is what he's called by his father to do. He knows that he must suffer death, and he presses on. Uh, chapter 13, verse 21. So this is where we were last week, where Jesus is now with the 12, uh, and it is only hours before his arrest uh, and his crucifixion will unfold the next day. But Jesus was troubled in spirit and he testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And there's a kind of heaviness descends on the disciples, a confusion. Why would any of us betray Jesus? And verse 33, Jesus says, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. And it feels to the disciples like they've sailed into these stormy waters. They've sailed into the stormy waters knowing that, Je knowing that they can rely on Jesus. It's kind of while he's with us, we can cope with this. And now Jesus is about to jump overboard. He's about to abandon them. How will they cope without Jesus in the midst of the storm? Now, that is why Jesus begins chapter 14 with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I, I love Jesus for so many reasons, but one of them is that here he is 
about to face the horror of his own crucifixion. And what is he doing on that night? He's ministering. He's comforting his disciples uh, in, in the midst of their grief and their confusion. My heading today is um, Jesus brings comfort in the storm. Uh, and Jesus wants us, his followers, to trust him. But trust is not just a, a lip service. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Sometimes it can be a throwaway line, can't it? But Jesus wants us to have confidence that through the storm, through whatever life and death throws at us, even if he is not physically present with us, we can depend on him. Uh, that's, that's the sort of faith we're talking about. Trust in Jesus no matter what the circumstances. Uh, and Jesus gives us a few reasons for confidence. Uh, and the first one is that Jesus goes to prepare a place in heaven for us, for the disciples. Far from abandoning them, his going is purposeful. Verse 2, chapter 14, verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? I just love this image of the father's house, you know, a, a home of love and laughter where all of God's children are welcome. Uh, heaven is not some wafty place in the clouds. It is the Father's home. Uh, and where all God's children gather with Jesus and the Father forever. And Jesus was going to the cross to prepare a place for his followers in his Father's home. And so he goes on, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. See, although they're troubled, although they're confused, Jesus is not abandoning his disciples. It's not like he's bailing out on them. The very reason he was leaving was to secure a place for them in heaven, and he will come back. Uh, so Jesus goes to prepare a place in heaven and to make a way for the disciples, for for all of us to go there to be with him as well. Verse 4, Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Uh, Jesus has constantly been telling them about his death, his resurrection, how the good shepherd must lay down his life for the sheep. Uh, constantly telling them that they're going to Jerusalem and there he must be crucified for the sins of the world. But the disciples are slow to understand. So Thomas in verse 5 says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answers in these beautiful, profound words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Now, these are words that many people in our society find jarring and hard to hear. And, and that's because so many in our society want to affirm all religions as equally valid ways to the same God. 
You know, you've heard, you've heard that imagery of, you know, God is like the top of a mountain. And the different religions are kind of like different paths up the same mountain, just different treks we need to, ta- to take to get to the same God. But Jesus says, no, I am not one way amongst many. I am the way, the truth, the life. And just in case we haven't got it yet, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. The, the claims of Jesus are profoundly exclusive, uh, incredibly inclusive as well. That is, anyone who believes in Jesus has a way to heaven through him. It's, it's opened up a secure path to heaven. But it's, it's incred, in, in, incredibly exclusive, isn't it? Because it's only through Jesus. He is the only way. And that's because every other religion on the planet is about what you have to do to make your own way to God. Uh, And so it might be that you get help along the way, but it's really a path that you have to tread. Uh, You have to make your own way to God. Um, And it's like climbing that mountain. But what Christianity reveals to us is that it's not a mountain. It's, It's like there's a great chasm between us and God that is unpassable. And what we need is Jesus to come and lay down his life to create a way, to bridge the gulf between us and God. He himself is the way. Now, these words, they were originally spoken to the 12 disciples to comfort them as Jesus was then arrested and beaten and crucified, as they felt that kind of grief and confusion But these same words continue to provide comfort to us 2,000 years later. And so it was lovely. I didn't line that up with Russell, but Russell just mentioning, was it your uncle, brother? Uh, This was read at his funeral. Over the years, I have attended dozens of funerals, um, both Christian funerals and and funerals of people who are not Christians. Um, I have seen and experienced the grief of death again and again. And at every funeral, there is a deep longing for something more. It doesn't matter whether the person who's died is Christian or not. There's a deep longing that death is not the end, that there is life beyond death. None of us want death to be the final word. And as I read these words of Jesus in the midst of grief and death, they bring comfort and hope for everyone who believes in Jesus. Uh, And so whilst funerals are full of grief and tears, there is also a deep reassurance. Uh, Because our brothers and sisters who have died, they've now gone to be with the Father. Jesus prepared a place for them, and they're now with him, safe and secure in his loving home. Uh, Jesus provided the way for us to be with him forever. And so I want to ask, do you believe in Jesus? Uh, Do you believe that he will bring you safely through this life, safely through death, into the Father's home? Because he himself says, I am the only way uh, for you to make that journey. Uh, Believe in me. 
And it takes us on to the second point, and that is how can we fuel our faith in Jesus? Uh, And the answer is the works of Jesus are what fuel our faith in him. Jesus doesn't ask for blind faith. Uh, You know how a lot of people think about um, Christianity as kind of blind faith. I've I've just got to believe. Um, Jesus asks us to believe having been persuaded of the evidence. So look at verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father? See, there's that debate that he has with Philip. Um, Show us the Father. That will be enough evidence for us. And Jesus says, but don't you know me? Uh, I'm in the Father. Look at verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now, the guy who wrote John's Gospel was one of the 12 disciples. Um, He wrote his biography of Jesus so that we might be convinced and persuaded by the evidence. And the evidence that he kind of lays out is the words of Jesus and the deeds of Jesus. Um, And he wants us to be convinced that Jesus came from God, that he reveals the truth about God, and that he provides the only way for us to get to God, the Father. So listen to what John says at the end of his Gospel. Um, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's kind of the way he wraps up uh, this uh, biography of Jesus. He's writing these things about the signs Jesus performed so that you may believe and be persuaded that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, I want you to have a look at these two pictures on the screen. Um, two pictures, they have a bit in common, don't they? They are both bright lights that kind of shoot up into the sky, uh, attract our attention. Um, but what's the difference? There's a key difference, isn't there? Uh, right, okay, one celebration on the right, one's distress. Yeah. One's a life or death. So the one on the left is a life or death situation. Um, yeah, so one of them, the one on the left, is a signal calling our attention, a distress signal. Uh, and it demands action, it demands a response. But the one on the right, it's purely there for entertainment. Uh, it's not there to kind of call us to action. It's just, we just respond by going, wow. Uh, now, when the Bible records the miracles of Jesus, is it more like the one on the left or the one on the right? Have a quick word to the person next to you, if, you, you know, if you're able to pull that off uh, in our COVID era. Um, so, which, the works of Jesus, more like the one on the left or the one on the right?
Okay, I'm going to answer the question, just in case you get it wrong. Um, Because it was interesting, Beverly said, one's celebration and one's distress. And so at that level you go, oh, well, Jesus, it's about celebration. The miracles of Jesus should have brought joy. They were good news. A new era has broken into our world. Uh, So at that level, there's a celebration theme. But I reckon the miracles of Jesus are more like the distress flare. Not that it's bad news, but the miracles of Jesus, notice they're called signs, right? And the idea of a sign is they're pointing us to something. They're calling us to action. Just like the distress beacon, you don't just go, oh, wow, that's, a, wow, that's an amazing light in the sky. It would have failed its job. Uh, and, and that's what Jesus' miracles are about. When he turns, uh, so just show us the next slide. He performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. Um, So turning the water into wine, healing every disease, feeding the crowd in the wilderness, walking on water, raising the dead, all those things were not merely spectacular displays of supernatural power. They were that, but not merely that. Uh, They were intended to evoke faith in Jesus to call us to action that the kingdom of God was breaking into our world and we need to repent and believe. And it's interesting how exasperated Jesus gets when people treat his miracles as mere entertainment. Uh, You know when people go, wow, that was an amazing miracle, Jesus. Do another one. Uh, And that's what you do at the fireworks, isn't it? You just sit there and you go, wow. Give us another one. And, and, and it's, you know, it's exciting, but it, you walk away and, and it's not like your life's been transformed or you've been called to do anything except you've just enjoyed the moment. And so many people in Jesus' day treated his miracles like that, just the wow factor. No, they were not fireworks. They were calls to action. The Son of God has come. Believe in him while there is time. And so I want to say, if you don't believe in Jesus, or you're not sure, Jesus is not calling you to blind faith, to just set aside any doubts and just trust. Um, what, what has been written down by John and the other biographers is the works and words of Jesus, what he did, what he said, his death and resurrection, and it's, it's designed to fuel our faith so that we might believe with confidence. Uh, and so th- this coming Tuesday night, we're, we're in the life series, we're in week two, but we're starting Luke's biography. And this Tuesday night, so you're all welcome to come along if, if you'd like to do a late registration, but we start Luke's biography of Jesus' life. Um, and we check out what's the historical information outside the Bible, what do we know inside the Bible, but over the next five weeks, we're going to dig into the words and the works of Jesus because those, those, the, the, the biographies of Jesus were written to fuel our faith in Jesus. So come along and check it out. So two things so far. Uh, Jesus brings calm in the storm, and firstly, he goes to prepare a place. He provides a way. The works of Jesus fuel our faith in him. And thirdly, Jesus promises to do greater things through us. 
Verse 12, he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may be sorry, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. And you hear that and you just go, wow, that is a staggering reassurance. What does Jesus mean by greater things? What are the greater things that we are going to do? Um, some Christians claim that all Christians should be able to do the miracles Jesus did only better. Right? Greater things. Uh, and so Jesus fed 5,000 with only a few loaves and a few fish. Should we expect to go out into the wilderness and feed 10 or 20,000 uh, with a few loaves and fish? Jesus healed people of every kind of sickness. So should we, you know, just one at a time, go down to Gosford Hospital and expect to be healing people of every kind of sickness and disease? Jesus raised Lazarus after he was dead four days. Should we wait five or six days uh, and then uh, raise people from the grave? Um, last year, Bethel Church in California had a tragedy happen. A little two-year-old girl died uh, from, from a very well-known family in the church. But instead of mourning... Uh, this church community were convinced that God was going to do a miracle amongst them and raise this little girl from the dead. Uh, just as Jesus raised Lazarus after four days, they believed in the power of prayer to do greater miracles today. And so the whole church gathered and prayed and sang for resurrection uh, and they kept the worldwide community informed via Twitter. You know, and day three is a really good day for resurrection. Uh, pray with us. Day four is a really good day for resurrection. Uh, and eventually, after about seven days, they conceded that this little girl was not going to come back from the dead. And so to add to their grief was confusion disappointment, uh, where did we go wrong? Has God let us down? Have we let God down? Uh, it, it, it just left a big gaping hole. I am utterly convinced that that is a misreading of what Jesus intended us to understand in this verse. Jesus is not promising that we will do the same miracles of him, as him, only bigger and better. He doesn't even use the language of signs. He talks about works or things. You will do greater things than these. And it's interesting because the language of signs is definitely, in John's Gospel, it's about those signs and wonders, extraordinary miracles. But the things, the works and things Jesus did include his teaching, it includes faith in God. It's a much broader thing. Uh, and so I want you to notice the end of the sentence. So 
John 14, <clears throat> what verse is it? Verse 12, you will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Um, the greater things only come as a result of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And it's at that point that a new age has opened up in human history, the age of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we're going to hear a lot about the Holy Spirit over the next few weeks because one of the comforts Jesus brings his disciples is that he is sending the comforter, uh, the Spirit, to be with them. You see, that's what Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension does. It ushers in a new age, the age of the Spirit. And I don't know if you can remember back to John 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Um, and they're talking about, because uh, remember, Jesus says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused. But Jesus is talking about a new age that would come where there would be new birth by the Holy Spirit. Uh, where men and women and children would be welcomed into God's family through new birth in the Holy Spirit. And you must be born again, Jesus said. Now, new birth by the Holy Spirit only comes about once Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. It is only then that the new age begins and Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit a new birth starts to become a reality, not because somehow we're more capable than Jesus, but we're now living in a new era. We're now living in an era where the ascended Jesus rules at the right hand of God. Though we don't see him, he rules now, and he pours out his spirit so that as we testify to Jesus and people believe, they are born again. They pass from death to life, spiritually speaking. It's interesting, if you want to chase it down further, go to um, John chapter 5, where Jesus will talk about the greater work is that spiritual renewal from death to life uh, that Jesus brings about, but only on the basis of his completed work. So this is the work of the Great Commission, in Jesus' name, we are called to make disciples of all nations and we have the reassurance from Jesus that he will do a great work, the, the greatest work of bringing people from death to life as they put their faith in the Lord Jesus. So at the start, I talked about the storms of life that shake our confidence so many things beyond our control that press on us. Um, and I asked, who is going to stand beside us and give us confidence? Uh, and thankfully, lots of people do do that during life. You know, my wife, I think about my wife, my parents, so many friends who will stand beside me. But who's going to stand beside us at, at when we're... When, when there are things beyond even the control of friends around us? Who's going to stand beside us as we face death and what lies beyond? As Jesus cared for his disciples on the night before his death, he gave them comfort 
and confidence. And that same comfort and confidence is available to each one of us as we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus may not be here physically. He is not physically with us, but he has gone to prepare a place in heaven and it's a secure way. And he'll come back and take us to be with him one day. We long for that day. We'll be with, with him, with the Father forever. While we wait, he is with us through his spirit. Uh, and he is doing great works. He promises to do great things through us even now. We have a job to do, to testify to Jesus. And this job we have is the great work of bringing people from death to life, of taking people from being enemies of God and bringing them safely into the kingdom of God so that they too may pass through death and into God's eternal home. And I want to invite you all to join with me in that great work of Jesus. Let me pray. God, our Father, there's so many circumstances in our lives that demonstrate to us that we are not in control. Uh, and we acknowledge that before you today. Father, we, we want to repent of the pride and the arrogance, the way we so often try to do it alone, the way we so often ignore you and act self-sufficiently as if we're, control, we're in control of our own destiny. Father, forgive us our pride, our independence. Strengthen, fuel our faith in the Lord Jesus, the one who comes amongst us, the one who died for us, the one who has secured a place in heaven for us, the one who will never leave us, or forsake us. Help us to trust in him. Uh, Father, thank you that he, through his death and resurrection, has prepared a place for us in heaven. And so, Father, calm our fears surrounding death and what lies beyond. Help us to trust Jesus with our future. But, Father, thank you for the promise of Jesus that he will do greater things through us even now. And we thank you that we have this awesome responsibility and privilege to testify to Jesus and to see people cross over from death to life, to see new birth take place even amongst a spiritual new birth. And Father, we pray that you help us to give ourselves to this work so that you will be glorified by Jesus through us by the power of your spirit, and we pray it in his name. Amen.